Welcome to Whores Talk Whore. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Whore. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. Since Thanksgiving is this week, we thought it would be fun to discuss some true crime cases that took place on or around Thanksgiving Day. As you do at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Uh, Some of the cases we found involve horrific murders. Uh, There are also a couple of cold cases, one with a possible connection to Robert Durst. (laughs) And then finally, we have a story that only mentions Thanksgiving, but it's just so fucking weird that we, well, honestly, Sharon had to talk about it. Seriously, she won't even tell me what it's about. (laughs) I'm very excited. Um, But these stories were all new to us, and hopefully they will be new to you as well. I personally dislike this holiday, like, so much. I would probably put this at the top of my list for least favorite holiday. I mean, for one, I'm vegan. So, you know, (laughs) there's the whole, like, mass turkey slaughter. Um, And then also the very term... Thanksgiving is pretty ironic and also pretty disgraceful considering the actual origin of the word came from Massachusetts Bay County Governor John Winthrop, who proclaimed a, quote, Thanksgiving for the successful massacre of 700 Pequot Indian men, women, and children. Mm -hmm. So not really much to celebrate or be thankful for, in my opinion. Yeah, we didn't feel that telling a few Thanksgiving true crime stories would taint the holiday too much really am i right (laughs) you said taint (laughs) i did (laughs) um okay well let's get start let's dig in shall we (laughs) it's thanksgiving okay (laughs) our first story is the disappearance of paul knuckle on november 22nd 1990 53 year old paul knuckle of dubuque iowa didn't show up for thanksgiving dinner with his family which was unlike him knuckle who never married and never had children lived for spending time with his family concerned family members went to knuckle's house and found his wallet and watch and even his shoes but knuckle and his car were gone The next day, the family spotted what they thought was his car, a 1981 red Mercury Zephyr parked along Route 151 just over the Wisconsin border, which isn't very far away since Dubuque sits on the Mississippi River and Wisconsin is just on the other side. But a few hours later, the car was gone. Relatives reported him missing the following Monday after he failed to show up at his job at the Swiss Colony Mail Order Gift Warehouse in Monroe, Wisconsin. That's a mouthful. According to police, Knockle was last seen Friday, November 17th, driving along a highway in Grant County, Wisconsin. Knockle and his car haven't been seen since. However, the exact date of Knockle's official disappearance is unknown. After the disappearance, police scoured the wooded area where family members saw the car. No clues turned up. Since then, police have followed up on dozens of leads, but again, nothing. Investigators believe Knuckle may have wound up in the Mississippi River either by accident or as a suicide or homicide, but that's just a theory. Family members believe he may have been abducted at his home and murdered. Knuckle's nephew, Dennis Noel, said, quote, I think he was murdered, yes. I would have to say that that was what happened. 
there was no accident involved, unquote. Family members say that would explain why Knockle's shoes and wallet, things he had with him every day, were left behind. Noel went on to say, quote, yeah, he definitely knew something was happening. His wallet was on the kitchen table and his good shoes were left there and everything. We didn't even know what he had on for shoes when he left, but apparently he knew something bad was coming down, unquote. The question is, why? Knockle was a simple man. He went to work every day. He didn't go out much. Family members say he had a learning disability, but he would never just take off. Police say he didn't appear to have any enemies or be involved in anything he shouldn't have been. Dubuque Police Lieutenant Scott Baxter said, quote, Everybody we talked to, our investigation, just the totality of the investigation, there's nothing to indicate this individual led a seedy lifestyle. He didn't have any drug or alcohol problems. He didn't drink much at all. Baxter continues, the river does create a different kind of spin on our community. Strong currents. And generally speaking, we usually recover bodies that are disposed of in the river. Not all the time. And depending on the circumstances, if the body is contained in a vehicle, that creates another challenge to us as well, unquote. So in other words, a body in a car won't always come to the surface. Police plan to follow up on any leads, but admit that they are no closer to solving this case today than they were 30 years ago. The family wants answers, and they want to give Knockle a proper burial if he is dead. They say that a simple man, a good man, who never hurt anyone, deserves that. Knockle's nephew, Tim Westmeyer, says, quote, yes, it would be good to give him peace. It would give us all peace, too, unquote. If you have any information about Paul Knockle's unsolved disappearance, please contact the Dubuque Police Department at 563-589-4410. We'll also include the number in our episode description as well. So Sharon, what are your thoughts? I think these cases are, I mean, they're heartbreaking because the family never has any answers and sometimes I just think it's easier to know like okay my loved one is dead at least you have some closure there right um when I was um because I'm going to be talking about a another disappearance um cold case next and so I was looking to see how many people actually just kind of vanish off the face of the earth and are never heard from again and the research I did showed that there's about 90,000 missing person cases in the U.S. every year. But by, um, you know, within a year of those people going missing, only about two to 3,000 of those cases are unresolved. So that's still, that's a huge number. Like what happened? And this person seemed yeah. so like you know, who would want to harm him? And it didn't seem like robbery was the intent since right. his wallet was still there. And his, did they say his watch was still there as well? And his shoes. And his shoes. Um, yeah. And also the fact that his car vanished as well. I mean, yeah, you know, that's you can, weird. Also, just FYI, I keep my uh, find my iPhone on all the time with my phone and you can mm -hmm. find friends with that app. So if I ever go missing, please do try and look for me with that. That's one <laughs> way to just saying. 
Right. We have, um, the, uh, the phone locator turned on on our phones as well in case that ever happens. But because that's a staggering number, like only two to 3000 cases, only two to three, or it's a staggering number. Cause there's still two to 3000. Yeah. That <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> words are not coming to me easily today, but yeah, it, it's just, it's staggering that there's that many unsolved missing person cases. And yeah, I mean, where, what happened? Where did he go? I, I, it's just so, so bizarre. And the car obviously could have been sold for scrap or parts. You know, I don't know if 30 years ago they were really paying much attention and, you know, I, maybe they have to write the VIN number down somewhere. If someone like brings a car to a junkyard or starts selling it for parts, I, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, if somebody really knows what they're doing, they could, I'm sure back then they could sell stuff easily for parts, just break the car down and then it wouldn't be very traceable. I didn't even think about that. Exactly. Yeah. If someone does know what they're doing, I'm sure they can get around the legalities of that pretty easily. But all right. So yeah, if anyone has any information involving that case, um, like Mindy said, we will include the number for the Dubuque Police Department in our episode description. Um, So I'm going to be talking about the disappearance of Karen Mitchell. Karen Marie Mitchell disappeared from Eureka, California on November 25th, just two days before Thanksgiving in 1997 and just before her 17th birthday. A little bit about Karen. She had a strong independent streak Her particular obsession was the environment. She was the kind of girl who owned a worm farm and was evangelical about composting. She didn't care about clothes and rarely wore makeup. Her uniform was jeans and a t-shirt and occasionally a hemp necklace. She liked the Smashing Pumpkins and R.E.M. These qualities were not unusual in anyone who grew up in the grungy alternative 1990s. I think that literally describes my entire wardrobe like sophomore and junior year of high school for sure right that was pretty much like what you and me and the rest of our friends wore it was like tight rolled ripped jeans with concert t-shirts um I think I had like three REM t-shirts I had Uh, a Siamese dream t-shirt for sure (laughs) yeah uh she sounds like someone that we would have definitely hung out with in school did you have worm farms no but I was like the only vegan in our entire high school and probably entire town growing up and was huge into the environment and recycling and saving the rainforest and everything. So, um, yeah, she sounds like someone that we definitely would have been friends with. Yeah. And in the late mid to late nineties, like nobody knew what veganism was and looked at you like you were insane if you didn't want to eat meat so yeah no my whole family pronounced it vehan like no one knew what the fuck it was um so yeah while we would have been friends with karen uh basically she was kind of a square peg in long beach um which is a suburb of la where she and her mother mary were living as she entered high school She began to act out a bit, and Mary was also working a lot, so the situation was not ideal. Mary's brother Bill and his wife Annie suggested that Karen come live with them in Eureka. The house they had was about a 10-minute drive from Eureka proper, down several country roads enveloped by leafy ferns and trees. It was the perfect setting for a budding environmentalist. Karen settled in well with them. She was a good student, 
She had friends and was very well liked. Um, On the morning of November 25th, 1997, Karen chatted with her mom on the phone about college financial aid applications. It was a Tuesday, but Karen was off school that week for Thanksgiving break. She still had to get to her job at a daycare in town, though. So she rode into Eureka with her aunt and hung out at the shoe store that her aunt owned for a little while before setting off on foot to the daycare. She walked north on a street that in Eureka is sometimes referred to as Broadway, but which really is just a stretch of US 101 that runs through the town. She never made it to her job. A witness claims he saw Karen get into a blue sedan driven by an older white man shortly after leaving the mall where her aunt worked. This man has never been identified, though two high-profile suspects were examined in connection with the case. The first was convicted murderer Wayne Adam Ford, who fit the witness's description of Karen's kidnapper. But though he confessed to several murders, Ford denied any involvement in Karen's case. Police were never able to tie him to the crime. The second suspect was Robert Durst, subject of the HBO documentary The Jinx. Durst appears to have visited Karen's aunt's shoe store several times and was in Eureka the day that Karen disappeared. But like Ford, police had been unable to definitively link Durst to the crime. Robert Durst owned a house in Trinidad, California, a tiny town where the population has never exceeded more than 400 people. Trinidad is just 20 miles north of Eureka, where Karen Mitchell was last seen. Journalists, private investigators, and psychics have speculated on connections between Karen and Durst. Chief among them is a man named Matt Birkbeck who has been following Durst for years and wrote a book about him called A Deadly Secret. Birkbeck had constructed a web connecting Karen to Durst, but it's speculative and fragile at best. He writes in A Deadly Secret that there are credit card records putting Durst in Eureka the day Karen disappeared, and he notes that Karen was thought to have volunteered at a homeless shelter that Durst may have frequented. Most critically, Birkbeck argues that Durst resembles a composite sketch provided to police sometime after Karen disappeared. The sketch was drawn up by police from the account of a man who said that he thought he saw someone force a girl matching Karen's description into a car. Karen's Aunt Annie realized Karen was missing when she went to pick her up from the daycare about three hours later and learned Karen had never made it there. Annie called Mary, Karen's mom, to ask if she had heard from Karen. Soon thereafter, Mary found herself in that surreal drive up the coast, and she ended up staying in Eureka for six months. With the exception of that one eyewitness who gave the composite sketch, no one has ever reported seeing or hearing from Karen Mitchell again. She had money in a savings account that she had never touched, and she had a plane ticket home to Southern California for Christmas. There were searches, dogs, leads, a hotline, and an information center, but nothing led to Karen. Eventually, the center closed, and Mary went home. She has now been waiting to find out what happened to her daughter for longer than Karen was alive, more than 17 years. 
Mary acknowledged the link to Durst is speculative, but they welcomed the renewed interest his arrest brought to Karen's disappearance. Mary said, quote, Part of me wants to know and part of me doesn't because we can't have both. We can't have closure without details, mm. end quote. So if you have any information regarding the disappearance of Karen Mitchell, please contact the Eureka Police Department with information at 707-441-4300. We will also include this number in our episode description. Dude, all of that fits Durst's M.O. Like, we don't even know how many people he's killed. And that, sorry, not to, like, jump to conclusions and be judgy, but I'm re- I'm listening to you and I'm like, he totally did this. Um, FYI, it, for anyone who is interested in Robert Durst or Bobby, as he calls himself sometimes, um, maybe just because you saw the jinx on HBO or maybe you've been following his exploits for years, um, the book A Deadly Secret is absolutely a must read if you have not read it already. It it's so interesting and enthralling and goes so in depth. Also, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Birkbeck, should you hear this and feel like chatting with us about Robert Durst, you have an open invitation to come on our show. Please email us at horsetalkhorror at gmail.com. But in all seriousness, it's a terrifying, fascinating read about a psychotic mind. So I would definitely check that book out. Mindy, do you know if the description of the car matched the type of car that Durst owned at that time? You know, I was going to check that and I completely forgot to do that because I haven't read that book in a while but I think it does uh but I was gonna fact check probably after we're done recording this but yeah I don't remember because he was slippery like he he was all over the country or has been all over the country multiple identities I didn't even I mean I suppose he could drive but I didn't even think about him driving because he's always like walking places or (laughs) being seen in pictures in the back of squad cars i shouldn't laugh but he is just literally absolutely insane and and he scares me like ugh. yeah it's it's very weird that he just happened to be in this part of the country during her disappearance although i'm sure there was other people in that area who disappeared at the same time um besides karen um but yeah it's there's definitely um, some similarities to his MO uh, and other things that can't really be ignored, whether or not he did it. I mean, who yeah, knows? and that's what's messed up is that for everything that he's not really officially admitted to doing, but that he's like 99.9% like we're sure he did some of the crimes that he's done. He gets, oh, I don't know, he just gets under the radar and gets away with it every time and Mm -hmm. it's insane and it's always some insane situation too like in florida where he like dismembered his neighbor because they got in a fight like wasn't that texas or texas it was south yeah thank you (laughs) um but what the fuck like oh i i'm speechless when it comes to him plus he did say you know well 
I killed them all, I guess, in that last audio clip in the Jinx. Uh, that- spoiler alert for those who have now watched the oh, Jinx. Oh, I think the, the statute of limitations <gasps> no, on no, that no. is passed. No, no, no. That's only like 2015 that came out. That hasn't been that long. I honestly just watched it like two years ago. So Yeah, um, I know. I couldn't believe you hadn't seen it before. Yeah, I um, there's too much to watch out there. There um, is. And then I remember being like, call me as soon as you're done with it. I know. <laughs> um, I do have to say, though, that this part of California, I think, is kind of notorious for lots of just shady incidents, missing person, missing person cases. Um, mm. And don't they isn't this the area, too, where. Um, I never watched that documentary, but there's that documentary about the people that grow the pot somewhere in California, like in the woods. And there's just like a lot of nefarious um, crimes and stuff that go on in that area. Is this the same area? You know, I don't remember because I haven't seen that documentary either. Um, But I mean, Eureka, I feel like you hear about Eureka a lot. I think there is there is a lot of uh, disappearances and murders up there because it's just it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And also, I think you're like right on the edge of um, the ocean and there's just, you know, lots of cliffs. It's just very easy to yeah hide someone in the wood, push someone off a cliff and never hear or see from them again. Murder yeah. Mountain? Yes, Murder Mountain. Where does that uh, documentary take place? Humboldt County, it said. Hmm. Oh, is this actually? Let me hold on. Let Some me do quick a, sleuthing. Yep, because I think this is in Humboldt County, California. In Humboldt County, California, the big business of legal marijuana brings in visitors from around the world. Some are never seen again. Yep, Humboldt County, California includes Eureka. Uh huh. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's like Shady McShadyville, I guess. Yeah, I know. What did we say in our uh, previous episode not too long ago that all the most beautiful places are also like the most dangerous? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just live in the Midwest where it's ugly and flat. What I think is crazy is that if I remember correctly, you said that she had a three block walk between her aunt's store and the daycare. And that's where she went missing. Right. For example, look at uh, I forgot which of Bundy's victims it was, but there was literally like a, was it like a less than a block where his one victim, she was seen by someone and then, and and then she was just gone within like half a block. Yeah. She was coming home from a a party and mm -hmm. she, there was a well-lit alley, like where all the sorority and fraternity houses were. And she was in a sorority and she, yeah, she went through the alley and like talked to her boyfriend's friend who happened to like be in the frat house nearby and then said goodnight, turned a corner. And that was that like, it's so messed up, but I Durst, he looks really frail, but I, he's not clearly like that. He just creeps me out. And I, it creeps me out how he talks about himself in the third person. I just, anyway, I was trying to look to see what kind of car he had around that time. And I'm not having a whole lot of luck with some quick Googling, but I'm going to look into that because now I'm curious. But, huh, interesting, interesting. And I didn't hear about Karen. So thank you for telling that story. 
Yeah, I feel horrible for her entire family. I mean, I feel horrible for the families and and all of these stories. Well, and especially when, like you said, too, where it's like, I just talked to them. They were on their way over and then just gone. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> let's let's keep this uh, happy momentum going. <laughs> let's keep this uh, Thanksgiving murder train going here. There you go. I like that better. <laughs> I'm going to talk in seriousness about the Guy family murders. So trigger warning, uh, we left a lot of gruesome details out of this story, but some of the details we discuss are still pretty brutal. So just heads up on that. Okay. Thanksgiving Day started off well for the Guy family in 2016. Joel Sr. and his wife Lisa welcomed their four children into their home in Knoxville, Tennessee. They had three daughters and also a 28-year-old son, Joel Michael Jr., who had traveled from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was a bittersweet holiday because Joel Sr. and Lisa were moving, so it would be the last Thanksgiving celebrated in the house. After his three sisters left their parents' home, Joel Michael murdered both his parents, 61-year-old Joel Sr. and 55-year-old Lisa. When questioned, Joel Michael Jr.'s sisters said that nothing seemed out of the ordinary during Thanksgiving dinner, but Joel Sr. and Lisa had planned to cut their son off financially. Joel Jr. was a former Louisiana State University student living on his parents' dime in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. At 28 years old, he had never held a job and had spent the past decade as a college student. Oh, boy. Joel Michael's sister, Angela, testified that her mom, who had spent most of her life as a homemaker, only worked to give her paycheck to her son. And that is a very sad sentence to read. Whew. Joel Sr. and his wife, Lisa, had said it was time for Joel Michael to stand on his own two feet. Joel Sr. wanted to retire from his job as an engineering designer. And with his retirement would come a move to a new house and an end to the cash flow for their son. The motive for the horrific crimes? Michael was to receive $500,000 from their life insurance policy if both of his parents were found to be dead or missing. Is it worth it for that amount of money? I don't know. Gosh, it's horrifying. Anyway, I'm going to stop editorializing. Michael stabbed his... Oh, trigger warning for violence, guys. Michael stabbed his father 42 times and his mother 31 times. He then dismembered the bodies and tried to dissolve their remains. The rest of his plan involved cleaning up the crime scene and burning down the house, as well as framing his father for committing the crime, which I would have liked to have seen how that would have worked out. (laughs) Right? Dude. But Guy was injured during the stabbings and left the partially dissolved remains of his parents in the house as he left to dress his wounds. Footage from a nearby Walmart showed Guy buying first aid supplies the afternoon of the murders. In the video, one of his hands appears to be bandaged. 
Before Joel Michael Jr. returned to the scene of the crime to finish cleaning up, police discovered a bloody scene upon performing a welfare check when Lisa failed to show up for work on Monday the 28th. Both parents torsos and dismembered limbs were dissolving in plastic bins in an acid-based solution full of corrosive chemicals described by prosecutors as a, quote, diabolical stew of human remains, unquote. They also found his father's severed hands on the floor and the mother's head in a pot on the stove. Another piece of evidence that was found at the house was Michael's notebook in a backpack in the room he had been staying in. Written in his own handwriting were detailed plans to murder, dismember, and cover up the murders of his parents. Way to go, genius. It also detailed how he planned to profit from his parents' life insurance policies. That's like murder 101. Like, don't leave a paper trail, idiot. Sorry. And also, uh, don't murder someone for their life insurance because anyone who has ever watched forensic files knows that the murderer always gets caught i mean maybe sometimes not right away but eventually the police figure it out when you're about to get a large sum of money they investigate that shit people right it's not fucking worth it right yeah yeah Ugh. anyway i'll save comments for the end of this uh yes. <laughs> um Prosecutors said that Joel Michael Jr. had planned the murders for weeks prior to his Thanksgiving visit. So like what he was in Baton Rouge in a bar being like, this is how I'm going to do it. Ugh. On November 7th, he began making shopping trips to purchase knives, chemicals, plastic containers and plastic sheeting. On October 2nd, 2020, the jury reached their verdict in the case after only three hours of deliberation. Joel Michael Jr. was convicted of one count of felony murder for killing his mother while committing the first degree murder of his father and two counts of felony murder while committing a theft. Jurors also found him guilty of two counts of abuse of a corpse. He was sentenced to life in prison. Shandice Fink, one of Joel Sr. and Lisa Guy's daughters, thanked the jurors, prosecutors, and members of law enforcement who had to witness the brutality inflicted upon her father and stepmother. Through tears, she said, quote, I'm very sorry that this evil had to come into their life, too. I will be praying for all of them as I do for my family as well. My parents were wonderful people who loved their children. They were larger than life. They were so happy. They were such really good people and they loved him. They loved him so much. They loved all of us. For anyone to do what he did, I don't understand it, unquote. Fink said her family will never be the same. When you look at the pictures of her parents, like every picture of them and the articles that I was reading, they're just smiling and like hugging each other so close. I mean, they look to be so in love and so happy. Yeah, this is 
really, really fucking disgusting. Like not only to plan to murder your parents to get insurance money, but also the way that he murdered them. Oh my God, is just I know. so brutal and disrespectful. And um, yeah, for what, $500,000? I mean, that's a lot of money. But right. he would need to get a job eventually. I mean, that's not going to last his entire lifetime. If right. he were to live another 60 years, that's like $9,000 a year to live on. I mean, come on. No one can survive on $9,000 a year for the rest of their life. I mean, it would be very, very hard to do that. Yeah, no. And that's why it's such like a senseless crime, as they say, because it's like really all of that, all that gruesomeness, all of that violence, you still ended up going to jail and getting caught dumbass because you left a fucking instruction manual as to how you were going to commit the crime. Um, Like he should have just had a giant red arrow with a sign that said like evidence here for the police to find Jesus. But like. I, I honestly that what his sister said at the trial about how she was thanking like the policemen and the and the detectives and how them seeing the violence affects them too. Oh, how sure. thoughtful and thoughtless like of like because she's the one who's really hurting here. It's her family and and she's thinking of of them and and the people that help them find justice and hoping they're not scarred by this. Oh my god, that's just lovely. I agree. I was thinking the same thing when you read that. And also like her and the rest of, you know, her siblings and her parents seemed like such good people. I want to know what the son was like before all this. I mean, you don't go from being just like a lazy deadbeat to dismembering your parents overnight. Like (laughs) were there signs that he had some other problems or issues? I mean, that that is such a horrific way to murder someone. I mean, yes. You yes. know, it's not a gunshot. Uh, he could, yeah, he could have shot them in the head or uh, there's so many other ways. Poison, but to like stab someone that many times and then dismember them. I mean, that takes. It's very personal. I've, it's very, very personal. And yeah, like if, was he just mad that he was 28 and now had to get a job? Like, what would drive someone to that? Because that's like full on rage that like when you're doing something like that, I would have to imagine. I've not stabbed anyone 42 times in my life, so I wouldn't really know, but I would guess that there's some major rage going on behind that. And what the hell, man? So much, especially when like all his mom did, she, she got a job just to give all of her money to him. Like what an ungrateful piece of shit. Like, what? seriously. Well, he is hopefully uh, the bell of the ball in his prison now. Because I don't know what in prison life how prisoners view people who kill their family. But it, I, if I was a prisoner, I'd want to kick the shit out of him every day. I'm sorry. Yeah, that he just sucks. Enjoy it, Joel Michael. Suck it. I do have to say, though, I mean, I feel horrible for the entire family. But in a weird way I think it's it's kind of good that both parents are gone at least for their sake because I would hate to be the surviving parent and not only deal with the loss of my spouse but you also are going to have survivor's guilt and you have to cope with the fact that your own child could do something so 
horrific. Like if he only murdered one of his parents or, you know, one of them somehow survived the attack, living with that for the rest of my life, I think would be worse than being dead. Yeah. And and I feel weird saying this too, but I hope that his first strike with both his mom and dad was deadly enough that it was quick for them. Oh, yeah. I hope they weren't suffering the entire time. All right, Mindy. Well, I have a bit of a palate cleanser for you (laughs) after that. Thank Um, you. Oh, my God. I know. Um, We're going to end this episode on a slightly lighter note. It's still a pretty fucked up story, but uh, no one was actually murdered or physically hurt in this case. Um, Also, the case doesn't really have too much to do with Thanksgiving other than a couple of mentions of the holiday itself, uh, which you will hear shortly. But this is so fucked up. I just really kind of wanted to um, tell the story and have a little bit of a discussion about it. Um, So here is the story of Gilberto Valley, the case of the cannibal cop. Oh, boy. Are you you ready? I got a pen ready and paper for notes. I'm good to go. (laughs) You got your popcorn handy. I literally do. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Former NYPD officer Gilberto Valley seemed to have it all on the surface. A beautiful wife, a new baby, a solid educational background, and the start of a steady career within the New York Police Department. But underneath the surface of the devoted family man, however, lied some very dark fantasies. Valley's wife, who he met on OkCupid, discovered some disturbing things on his computer. She thought he was cheating on her, so she installed spyware on his computer and discovered that for two years, Valley was visiting internet fetish chat rooms, in particular, a Russian website called darkfetishnet.com. Spencer, are you familiar with that site? I was just going to make a joke. Like, uh, can you excuse me for a second? <laughs> no, I... I got to go clear my browser history. (laughs) Yeah. I was also going to say that is a super redundant URL, but I'm going to put my work brain to sleep right now and listen to the story. Unless it's like fish nets, but it's fetish nets. I don't know. Yeah. All right. In this private members only site, he would describe his fantasies to kidnap women, put them in suitcases, torture, rape, kill, and eat them. My neighbors right now are probably like, <laughs> can hear me through the walls. Like, what the fuck? We is need going to on move like pronto. Right. Um, these fantasies. Inc- Sharon, you ordered those suitcases, right? <laughs> <laughs> well yes. played, Spencer. Well played. They should be arriving from Amazon uh, Monday ish. From darkfetishsuitcases.com.net. <laughs> anyway, go on. We can actually joke about this case a lot. Okay, cool. Because <laughs> like I said, no one actually gets hurt. All right. Um, so these fantasies included his own wife and her friends. In one chat room, he boasted he was going to have, quote, girl meat for Thanksgiving. Wait, this brings back memories of Microwave Massacre. Uh, oh, oh, yes. I thought about the movie Microwave Massacre a lot while I was reading this. Um, so... Valley's screen name on this site, Mindy, do you want to take a guess what his screen name was? Uh, probably Girl Meat Hunter. Shut up! Did you look at my document? 
just right now I have it, but I'm not reading ahead. Okay, because yes, his nickname is Girl Meat Hunter. That is literally what his nickname... Are you sure you didn't see that? I'm not. I swear to God, I've not read further at all. (laughs) I've just been like following as you've been reading. Okay. I promise. Um, I I, Didn't I tell you to shut your goddamn screen? Shut it. Shut it. I don't want you to see any of this stuff. Okay, I'm I'm looking away. All right. I think Mindy cheated on that, but yes, Valley's she totally did. Valley's screen name was Girl Meat Hunter, and in one of his messages to one of his chat room friends, he wrote, "quote I have longed to butcher and eat female meat." All right, so this is not great publicity for OK Cupid. I was gonna say, uh, is that site still up? because they might not be for much longer after people hear this. <laughs> I also don't think that people like this are limited to OkCupid. No. I mean, I've never been on a dating site. I don't know what type of background checks they do, um, how you weed people like this out. But also on the surface, remember, this is someone who was married for at least two years before his wife suspected anything like this like he kept this side of him completely hidden which is really creepy to me because I feel like that would be really hard to hide um because she just thought that he was cheating on her she wasn't like is my husband eating girl meat (laughs) or fantasizing about eating girl meat um I guess yeah. it's positive that he was only chatting about it in chat rooms and not actually doing it, unless we're going to maybe get to that. Oh, there's a, yeah. All right, a I'll lot shut more. up. All right, so other messages found on his computer included plans to kidnap not only his wife, but her friends, put them in suitcases, rape them in front of each other, and then kill and eat them. Jesus. In Valley's memoir titled, are you ready for this one? Uh, wait, get, why does he it. even have a memoir in the first place? Just wait, we'll get to it. Why but not? But he does have a memoir what titled, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Raw Deal, The Untold Story of NYPD's Cannibal Cop. I love that he got super punny with it. I'm kind of speechless. I kind of want to read this book i kind of um, do too <laughs> like what kind of case is he gonna make like you know anyway well that's an awesome um, name yeah um so he admits to having these fantasies about his wife after their first date he states oh. in the book that he came home from the date and ugh, uh prepare your gag reflex um and pleasured himself while imagining her being chloroformed and kidnapped, stripped naked, and laid out on a platter with an apple in her mouth. What the fuck happened to this guy in his childhood? Jesus. Uh-huh. Right? That's what I'm saying. I, I, I don't know. I didn't look into his childhood. Um, but seriously. Wow. What the fuck? Um, first date, too, huh? Wow. She made an date. impression. Love at first sight. I'm so... <laughs> so glad i'm out of the whole dating (laughs) pool because like honestly i think i'd rather be single for the rest of my life after reading this story than ever go on another date again um i watched a youtube video on this case where valley was interviewed by a reporter and valley kept saying during the interview that he fully admits that his thoughts are deviant unusual and abnormal but they do not affect who he is in real life oh oh okay then I mean, it. to be fair, Sharon, I mean, some of the things you said about 
you know, wanting to do with Spencer before you guys got married involved some suitcases and a little dismemberment. So it's not that weird. But that's not real life. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. Computer records showed that he would be online from midnight until pre-dawn some nights talking to other chat room friends. Some of his friends included a librarian from New York City, a nurse from England, a mechanic from New Jersey, and a butcher from Pakistan. Wow. Like, okay, the butcher, I can totally see, but a nurse, I mean, seriously? I can see that. Like, a, now we have um, a nurse who is supposed to take care of you, who is fantasizing about, like, raping and killing women, and we also have a police officer who is supposed to serve and protect you, also having these same fantasies, and now they're, like, buddies on, like, the dark web chatting about this well i was my first thought was wow what a what a nice diverse group of people (laughs) i mean that's all the more terrifying because it could literally be anyone having these fantasies and having this like secret double life yeah he would look at photos of women appearing to be bound and eaten there is a section on darkfetishnet.com called what would you do to her where you can upload photos of women and describe what you would do to them? Valley uploaded hundreds of photos of women to this page, including women that he knew and copied and pasted their photos straight from his Facebook page. Wow. Some of the, I know if I uh, find out you guys did that as a joke for this episode, I'm going to be really <laughs> pissed. Well, how do you think Sharon found out about that one section of the page? I mean, now that you just planted the seed, Mindy, um, that would be kind of funny. Um, So some of the women included a 27-year-old prosecuting attorney and college classmate of Valley's named Kimberly, where he describes tying her up to a pulley device in his basement, trussing her up like a turkey and cooking her alive. Another person he wrote about is friends with his wife, where he discusses plans to kidnap and sell her to the mechanic in New Jersey for $5,000. And the mechanic wrote back, can we do it for $4,000? I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Right? I mean, I think I would be a little upset if I was only worth (laughs) (laughs) $4,000. Well, you know, times are tight, probably. He only had 4000 to spare. I think I'm pretty tasty. I mean... <laughs> I will also say that, as Sharon and Spencer know, I once worked for a um, large media corporation that will rem- remain unnamed, but uh, we had an online customer service department, and I know that those chat rooms and stuff like that are not cheap a lot of times, so... Mm. He's spending a lot of money on thinking about a lot of weird shit. His poor wife. There is also an 18-year-old high school girl who attends his high school alma mater in which Valley describes her as, quote, the most desirable piece of meat I've ever met. All right, that's that's really disgusting. Um, the interviewer at one point said, Gil, this isn't normal for a cop? <laughs> To which Gil replied, quote, um, would it matter if I were a plumber? Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, First of all, 
I love that that was his response. Also, yes, it would matter if you're a plumber. It literally matters no matter who you are because this shit, I mean, I know people have fantasies about rape. Sure. And, you know, that to me, I don't think is super weird. It gets really weird because men and women both have those fantasies. Um, Obviously, hopefully, you never act out on them. Right. Uh, it's just a role-playing thing. But when you start fantasizing about like kidnapping and torturing and killing and eating someone like that to me just crosses like a whole other line. And uploading pictures of people that you know to a website called What Would You Do to Her? That's, oh my God, that is fucking insane. And also, yeah, he's a cop. So it makes it more horrifying, like I said, you're supposed to serve and protect people and keep them safe from people who want to like rape and murder and kill and eat people. But also, yeah, it would be horrible if it was a plumber too, because you have a plumber come into your house and like having someone come into your house, especially if you're like, you're a woman who lives alone and they're having these like sick, dark twisted fantasies like who knows how close some of these people are to actually acting on these fantasies all I want to know though is how did he ever get sleep because if he was up all night chatting and then he was a cop like when did he have time well he said do you put your thing away right I feel yeah I swear to god I have the Zencaster (laughs) screen up now because the very next thing I was gonna mention um so after You know, he made his plumber comment. He went on to say, people don't choose the things they're aroused by. People have their things. They don't choose them. The um, interviewer. Sorry, what what interviewer was this? Oh, I don't know. It was just some. Just like like after he got caught, somebody was interviewing him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so in the interview, he said that he would come home from work wound up and he couldn't go to sleep right away. So he would go unwind in these chat rooms and the interviewer is like, quote, uh, why didn't you watch a movie or sports? (laughs) (laughs) End quote. To which Valley responded, quote, yeah, I did that some nights too. I didn't do this every night. End quote. Yeah. You know, sometimes he would watch sports on the hunting channel, I'm sure, Followed by, you know, maybe some shows on the Food Network. (laughs) And then he would watch movies like I Spit on Your Grave. You know, he's just, he's very well-rounded. It's not all about kidnapping and raping and cooking women. And getting a boner from it. Yeah, totally. Variety. (laughs) Um, So, obviously concerned by what she found on her husband's computer, (laughs) Valley's wife packed up her and her baby and went to her parents' house. Nice. According to Valley, she wanted to work things out, but then had a change of heart and went to the FBI. Uh, good for her. Yeah. Um, about a month after his wife left, six FBI agents came knocking on Valley's door. He was being watched by the feds. They said that he was looking up information about some of these women on the NYPD database. Oh, and shit. on October 25th, 2012, Valley was arrested on charges of conspiracy to commit kidnapping and also illegally accessing a federal law enforcement database. I was going to say, was- can they add being stupid onto that? Because <laughs> as a cop, you should have realized that you have to like log in and that shit's traceable. That's like the point. I mean, if it was a Ill- legal to be stupid, we would all to- be yeah, in jail that's right true. now. Yeah, that's true. Um, he was also 
unsurprisingly, fired from his job as a New York police officer. I wonder if that's why he became a cop, so he would have access to this Ooh, stuff. Ooh, yeah. Good point. But you also, you're right. Something. Very stupid. Uh, and he, you'll see later, he admits to how stupid he is. Um, oh, good. If convicted, Valley faced a maximum of life in prison for the conspiracy charge and a maximum of five years in federal prison for accessing the Federal National Crime Information Center without the correct authorization. There was also the question of, since he never acted on these fantasies, Mm. then was it even legal to put Valley in prison for merely discussing committing these hypothetical crimes? Valley's wife would testify against him at the trial, along with filing for divorce. Uh, Good for you. Right. Other women, including friends of Valley and his wife, would also testify against him, describing to the jury the brutal ways in which Valley discussed kidnapping and eating them in his chat room discussions. Uh, There was also a document recovered from his computer that was titled, quote, Abducting and Cooking Kimberly, a Blueprint end quote oh my this, god i know um this included a target date for doing this along with materials that he would need to do it it was very detailed they showed the list in the uh youtube video that i watched um and I, we will put a link to this youtube video in our episode description if you would like to watch as well uh he went he then went and met Kimberly on the date that he planned to kidnap her. And this is where it gets even weirder. But he only had lunch with her that day and brought along his wife and child with him to the lunch. Uh, Valley maintained that he was never planning on acting on the fantasies. His defense team argued that he never brought he never bought any of the material that he wrote about in order to commit the kidnapping and cannibalism of his friend, nor did he ever communicate with other people in the chat room outside of the chat room. Uh, there were also thousands of other people in the chat room who were writing pretty much the same things as Valley. So how can you convict someone based on their thoughts alone without having actions to back it up? Which is a good point. I yes. Mean, that's kind of like we're getting into some 1984 territory, like the thought police um, and arresting people for just having uh, fucked up thoughts. Yeah. Um, but you know what, though, if I were, again, taking someone's picture, especially off of Facebook where you don't have their permission to use it and uploading it to a site that would incite violence against their image, at least. I feel like that should have carried a little heavier weight in his... I mean, he was being charged with possibly life in prison, so I'll just find out what happens. What happened, Sharon? Well, um, yeah, the jury found him guilty on all charges in 2013. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So after serving 21 months in prison, Valley's conviction was overturned by Judge Paul G. Gardefi of a federal district court saying that the evidence supported the contention that Valley was merely engaging in fantasy role play online. However, the charge for accessing the database stood, but Valley was credited with time served and released. Did the, At, If I were one of those women that he posted pictures of, I would have sued his ass and taken him to court that way then. Yeah, oh, I don't. I don't know oh my God. what if that would have 
stood up in court or what the actual charge of something like that was. I mean, if you post stuff on Facebook or any social media page, I mean, it pretty much says on those sites that anything that you post becomes property of Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Yeah, so, but then he posted them on a different website. Yeah, I feel but like, it's not technically your property. You well, gave it except over that to, they were, it was their image and he, it was a website that was specifically asking about inflicting harm on the images uploaded. So well, I think you could seriously argue that like, even though it was a chat room, he was using... To play devil's advocate, it was just called, what would you do to her? I mean, you could have responded with, buy her a dozen roses and take her out to a nice dinner and then give her a massage. You didn't have to respond with, put her in a suitcase and then eat her. Something tells me this wasn't that kind of... That 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 kind of crowd. <laughs> I agree, but if I'm a defense lawyer, right. that's where yeah. I'm gonna go. And this is obviously a great discussion, and we could we could go back and forth all night. But I'm gonna finish this story. Okay. Yes. Um. So at the 2019 Crime Con, Valley appeared in a standing room only panel where he expressed his regret over his previous actions and fantasies, saying it ruined his life. No shit, dumb fuck. Uh, (laughs) Since his wife leaving him, he has not seen his child, though he does admit that he deserves the personal repercussions. At least, you know, he's taking responsibility for his actions. Um, Do you uh, think do you think maybe he was like this was a giant cry for help? Like the fact that he was so not hiding this at all. He was so obvious. I think he was hiding it very well. If his wife didn't think that he was cheating on her, he probably would have continued to do this for years and years and years. Well, but like being a cop, though, I I feel like he would know better. Like, don't write down the exact fantasy you have that could possibly like lead you into trouble later. You know, well, a lot of cops think they're above the law. So this is that's a very good All point. Right. Uh, Valley, however, still feels like he did not deserve to be sentenced to life in prison for a fantasy that he never planned on acting upon. Valley said, quote, I understand people don't like what I did, but the question here is, is not liking me reason enough to have me in prison for the rest of my life? End quote. Valley is hoping to rebuild his life and plans on keeping to himself. While the issue of online fantasy and differentiating from the real crimes to the fantasy ones is definitely worth exploring, there is definitely something very disturbing about this case for everyone. At the end of the YouTube video I watched, it did say that he was back online dating. So ladies, if you're interested, smokers need not apply because his biggest turnoff is smokers. That is a hard stop, ladies. That's um, the one thing. <laughs> you know what my biggest turnoff is? Uh, a guy who wants to kidnap, rape, torture, kill, and eat me. <laughs> you know, could you imagine how awkward that first date conversation must be every time he goes out with somebody? Oh my god! I can't. Who who would want? Unless there's a woman out there who also has the same fetish. I mean, that would be a perfect match that would be a match made in somewhere somewhere yeah the I'm dark to... well oddly enough <laughs> the I dark think... web a match made in the dark web oddly enough i think there are people who do have that 
you know, the opposite side of that fantasy. Yeah. I, oh, I'm sure. Um, what do you mean? Like there's women who want to be trussed up and displayed out on a table. And, you know, I mean, there's... And be eaten. And be eaten or eaten out. Hey. Hey. Uh, (laughs) um, But, you know, whatever. To each their own. Uh, Famous forensic psychiatrist Dr. Park Dietz interviewed Valley as well. He has famously interviewed Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Kaczynski, uh, what up, high school alum? What, what? <laughs> Go Mustangs! That's right. Ted Gusinski went to the same high school as me and Melinda. And we're going to talk about it every single time his name comes up. <laughs> we, we actually should probably talk about it in the future because we were seniors in high school when we found out that the Unabomber went to our high school and the next day our high school was swarmed <laughs> with news cameras and we even had a friend that showed up for school the next day wearing a uh, uh, hoodie and like those aviator sunglasses. I was dr- just going to say. Drew, and then I drew think a little mustache on his Like promptly his got like sent home or whatever, but it was kind of funny. <laughs> but his picture like that did make it to the yearbook that year. Um, anyways, <laughs> Sorry. Got distracted. Uh, he also interviewed Joel Rifkin, Arthur Shawcross, Richard Kuklinski, and Betty Broderick, along oh. with many, many others. Um, he stated that Valley was not mentally ill, but he did find that Valley suffered from a deviancy that involved fantasies of sexual sadism in which he derived excitement from the imagined psychological or physical suffering of female victims and he probably got paid a lot of money for that um that diagnosis and i could have fucking told you that and i don't have a degree in psychiatry (laughs) sorry uh yeah so that is the story of the cannibal cop yowza Um, i have not heard of that and that did not disappoint oh good i was i was just about to ask you all week long i was like mindy i'm like don't you fucking look at the last story in our document? <laughs> I didn't. I totally didn't. And I just, by accident, saw that name. And I, I anytime you include meat in a, in a username, I have to say it. So, sorry. I, I stole that surprise. But So, you know, I do think he deserved to go to prison for illegally accessing a database. As fucked up as his fantasies are, I don't think he should have gone to prison for his fantasies however um some counseling maybe to make sure that he's not going to act on those fantasies and yes definitely like a uh, a thorough psychological analysis because you know there are people out there who have fantasies like this and act on them so we need to do what we can to weed those people out (laughs) yeah I think that's what I was mulling over and not being able to vocalize earlier is there's definitely they could definitely make a case for you know intent to do harm potentially because he had everything written down but the fact that nothing ever came of it and the fact that he didn't buy any of that stuff is kind of a big deal I think in terms of you know having uh circumstantial evidence versus like any concrete evidence like if he had bought some of that stuff that would have been different but yeah yeah 
we have to be fair in the justice system. And even if we don't like him fantasizing about kidnapping and eating women, if he's not doing it or harming anyone, I guess, can't just throw him in jail for liking the dark web fetish sites. <laughs> I agreed. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of gray areas in here. Um, but it's, yeah, I I just thought this was <laughs> a very interesting discussion. I had not heard of this case before and wow yeah it's yeah. uh at first I was like oh yeah his ass should have been definitely like thrown in jail but then like you know the more I read about it and then saw like the video on YouTube I was like all right I don't like this guy but I don't think he is actually going to harm anyone so um yeah I'm curious to see if he'll ever find love though <laughs> I definitely think counseling for life and um, but and that's the thing you never know when somebody is going to take it up a notch with with this or with anything absolutely you know there's there's that um i don't know the the, the compulsion the urge the the whatever whatever yeah. it is uh you know there you, you always you need more you know mm-hmm. right it's like your tolerance gets to a certain level and you need more so you know he he could have gone to the next level and you need to have counseling, uh, you know, mandatory forever, I think, to keep that in check. Because he did even start to just that one fantasy he had about making a date to meet his friend. Ugh. He he actually went to meet her on the date that he had planned. And he had, I mean, wa- watch the video. Like I said, we'll post a link. But like when you see the detailed plan that he had, it was like, all right. This is also just taking it like a little step further and then going through and meeting her, but then also bringing his wife and baby daughter like, oh, like, well, I don't I don't know. I wonder if he did that so he wouldn't actually follow through with it. Yes, I, I think that's absolutely what it was. Right. Maybe um, he got a little afraid of what he could possibly do and the direction that he was going. And he was like, I need to bring some people into this situation so I don't actually do it. And who knows if next time he would have had that buffer. Uh, right. And when he uh, should have just said, I'm a cop, I should go talk to my boss and maybe find a different profession and get some therapy. Yeah. But a wife and baby as buffer works too. <laughs> All right. So um, those are our Thanksgiving true crime stories. Um Before we uh, end the episode, I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Sean. I asked in our last episode, our Tidbits of Terror episode, if anyone knew where we could watch the show Wellington Paranormal, or as I'm now calling it, Welly Para, because who has time to say Wellington Paranormal? That just takes way too long. Uh, I definitely don't have time to say Wellington Paranormal. (laughs) Um, He recommended Daily Motion. They have episodes on there for free. And he is correct. Although there is one little issue. All the episodes are backwards. Uh, yeah, wait, you have to specify what you mean by backwards. Oh, I will. Um, so <laughs> literally the images are like flipped around as if you were watching it in a mirror. Um, so when you're oh. watching someone drive, they're driving on the right side of the road like we do here. I but thought they you meant it dr- started with like the end credits and then literally played oh, no, the no, episode no. <laughs> backwards. And I was like, that's got to be hard to follow. That's why they're free. Um, yeah, but... I mean, it's also a little distracting because uh, all the text 
is backwards. So if like someone's writing on like a dry erase board, like they're writing backwards. It's, it's weird, but it even, even with that, it's still really funny. And I didn't even realize when I read about the show, but it's created by Jemaine Clement from Flight of the Concours and What We Do in the Shadows, and also Taika Watiti um, from also What We Do in the Shadows and Jojo Rabbit, who I love both of them. Um, Those guys are slackers, man. Jesus, uh, they don't do they're, anything. They're so amazing. Especially they're the worst. Jemaine, I know Mindy and I both have big crushes on him. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like a mix of What We Do in the Shadows mixed with X-Files, mixed with Reno 911. Nice. And I'm going to purchase the DVDs, which uh, then we will also have to purchase a player that will play these DVDs on because the DVDs are... Yeah, I think well, what, what I read is that we need a region-free player, like a Blu-ray player. You because could, yeah, you could use the one you have because you can change regions on your Blu-ray players in general, but I... Th- I, I don't know if you what, can on ours because ours is kind of old. What I've been told, though, is you can't constantly do it. Like a- after you do it once or twice, it makes you like stick with one. I was also going to say um, the application VLC, like Victor, Lawrence, Charlie. Yeah, I use that. Yeah, that will play uh, any region DVDs or Blu-rays. Yeah, actually, I have a reader here that it probably will work on. But Sharon's been wanting to get a new Blu-ray player anyway because ours is old and kind of crappy. So yeah. I think we'll just make sure that we get one that's region-free. And then also um, another one of our listeners, uh, James, he also recommended... Uh, that it's on iTunes or Apple, whatever. Yeah. And when I went to look it up, it said uh, that, yes, it is here, but it is in the Australian store. <laughs> so I had to switch the iTunes reader, whatever the thing, into the Australian store. But then when I went to purchase it, then it switched me back to the U.S. store because my account is under the U.S. store because I have a U.S. credit card and all that. And then in which case I couldn't purchase it at that point. Right. Yeah. It's It's a well-oiled machine the way iTunes has that worked out. I don't understand why things can't be available like in the international. I also don't understand why Jermaine and Taika are making it so hard for us to watch this amazing show because from what I've seen of it, even backwards in poor quality, it's fucking hilarious. I mean, come on. You gave us Flight of the Concords. You gave us What We Do in the Shadows. Can you please share this show with the rest of the world? It's probably a studio thing because yeah. or a rights thing because that's what yeah. happened with Spaced, that other show that I talk about all the time with, that was created by Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and Edgar Wright and Jessica... Um, Heinz now she goes by um, They it was in uh, the UK for a while and I actually almost bought the overseas version of the DVD because there was no copy available in America and I think it's probably the same Sean that you were talking about who f- helped me find places to watch that show online and then finally they did release it in the States, but they had to like clear a bunch of rights stuff. And it's, yeah, it's bullshit is what it is. Just give us the entertainment. That's what it I say. Is. Oh, well. All right. Joking aside, thank you all for listening to us. 
Hopefully this episode got you into the holiday spirit. I know it did for me. (laughs) Also, maybe after hearing these stories, uh, you realize that spending the holidays with your family isn't as bad as you thought. That might, I mean, you know, it could always be worse. That's the takeaway. That's the takeaway from this episode. (laughs) Yes, it can always be worse, way worse. Um, (laughs) We may have to do a similar episode for Christmas, I think, or for every holiday, honestly. I'd be down for that. Um, We'll have uh, Fourth of July true crime stories, uh, Secretary Day. (laughs) Oh my God, that would be amazing. Boss's Day. Oh man. Uh, as always, you can uh, write to us with any uh, movie suggestions for bad ho- bad or good holiday movies or horrible holiday stories that involve disembodiment, if you have Ooh, them. Or especially, anything. Uh, cr- oh, that? sorry. I was going to say, especially uh, Christmas horror movies, because we're, we're getting into the uh, Christmas horror movie season. Yeah, and I've been finding new ones, too. I need to add them to our list. But um, anyway... All of those things, feel free to write to us whatever you want to share that we can read on our show or just to say hi to us too. That we like that. Um, also, I have a Google voice number, which I don't know why I haven't mentioned this before, but people can call and leave voicemails oh. um, if you if they want to. And we if they're good and we approve of them, then we can even play them in an episode, just like emails and stuff like that. Ooh. So that would be another way that you could get a hold of us. And we'll put that number in the episode description. Cool. Thank, thanks, idea. Google. That's awesome. This show is not sponsored by Google, to be clear. But that's awesome. I didn't know we even had that. Sweet. Yeah, call us or email us, basically. Um, if you are so inclined and able, please subscribe to us uh, on your streaming platform of choice. Uh, rate and review us. It helps us get more exposure. And, of course, there's always Patreon. Uh, please swing by check out our page and it would be lovely if you could donate but we know times are hard so we just are glad you're listening as always please be kind to each other be safe and as always Uh, wait 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 before we do our as always um i should probably mention my (laughs) references really quickly oh oh yeah oh sure yeah iowacoldcases.org, trendchaser.com, Reddit. What else do we have here? The Guardian, grunge.com, Wikipedia, uh, curo7.com, filmdaily.com, Odie, and YouTube, and thetech.com. And as always, thanks thanks for for getting getting creepy creepy with us. us. (laughs) Spencer just uses the same one anyways. Thanks for getting creepy with us. Sharon, you want a beer? Uh, Oh, my God.